don't even know Secret agent dinosaur Creative curmudgeon coming to you from beautiful Encanto Park in Phoenix, Arizona. Today we're here with Peter Kolakowski. For 10 years as of this recording, Peter has performed under the name Dinosaur Love. Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks. I'm really stoked to be here. It's really beautiful outside. Are you working on anything these days? Yeah, I've actually been really um, inspired lately and writing a lot more songs and my main goal for this year is to perform a lot more because I'm really bad at booking myself uh, and I'm trying to be better at it and waiting around for people to come to me for songs about dinosaurs is not working <laughs> well how do you how do you go about it do you approach people in a professional manner and say hello my name is Peter Kolakowski. You can contact my agent for, for more information. Here's a press kit. Or is it like, hey, bro, you want some songs about dinosaurs? Or is it somewhere in between? I think a lot of it is just asking, like, do you need performers? I am a performer. Mm -hmm. And just trying to be more open about the fact that I do play music and I am available. Like, I think the concept of putting yourself out there is like I don't know it's a very vulnerable thing to do to be like I play music I am artistic can I perform here like that's a very vulnerable position to be put in and it comes from like I don't know there's like a fear of rejection I feel like in that mm -hmm. but I feel like most of my approach is just like putting myself out there and just asking like hey can I play here and mm -hmm. trying to be less afraid of like that moment of uncertainty of whether or not they'll be like, ew, no, what? <laughs> right, I mean, you know, you're, you care a lot about what you do, obviously, and like, there's some vulnerability there, and I'm, I'm, it always hurts when somebody's like not in, into that. Yeah. Um, unless it's like, you know, douchebags that aren't into it, in which case it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I take it really seriously, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was always hard for me to kind of reach that sweet spot because whenever I did try to, you know, network or whatever, even if I'm trying, if it's coming from a sincere place of also wanting to have actual connection, things of that nature, it still feels a little scuzzy. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they're going to know that. Yeah. But that's just part of the game, I think. Um, what is your creative routine like? Uh, my, it's changed a lot over time, and I think that right now I am trying to make my route, I'm trying, I'm in like a very transitional period with my musical routine, because for a while I was like, I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna think about writing these songs and I'm gonna write thoughtful pieces of music and they're gonna be so meaningful 
and like there's going to be fun wordplay and I'm going to sit down and think those out and that was working really well for a while but right now I've been really inspired to just like follow the spontaneous energy of it so a lot of the stuff I've been writing recently is just playing something and singing like whatever is off the top of my head and not really worrying about like whether it's good or whether it's bad like I'm just recording like a voice memo on my phone if it's bad no one needs to hear it but there are some little seeds or some little snippets that might like jump out and be good in those moments of spontaneity that I can like latch onto and build on that is that wouldn't necessarily have come from me sitting down and trying to write that stuff like I couldn't I couldn't write the stuff that comes out spontaneously it just comes out oh sorry um but yeah that's that's kind of where I'm at right now is moving towards like following the spontaneity of it which is kind of how it started like I'm almost going back to my roots of like being more spontaneous about it after a period of like trying to be more thoughtful about my writing process is are dinosaurs kind of naturally the forefront of whatever idea you have or do you have this idea and then you kind of try to figure out how to like bring dinosaurs into it Mm. I think that for some stuff it's definitely like I have an idea and how can I make dinosaurs a part of it Mm. Um, like Extinction Stinks the album that's all about like an evil oil company was very much like I was feeling angry about climate change and oil companies and I needed to have an outlet for making art about that but also wanted to make it about dinosaurs so I kind of like shoehorned in this dinosaur mythos into it Um, but other times it is just like writing songs from a dinosaur's perspective Um, yeah I don't know it's kind of all over the place with that Um, but I think the, the biggest thing for me with writing songs about dinosaurs is it's a limitation that I've placed on myself that uh, encourages like creativity where it's like I have no limits other than the songs have to be about dinosaurs and that Mm -hmm. kind of forces me to be more creative about what I'm singing about Um, so basically you work better with a limitation than if you just kind of are saying I'm just going to do something about whatever and then it's just too broad yeah of a of a canvas it's too broad for sure I think having like limitations is important because if you're just like I'm gonna write a song that's so broad like I mm-hmm. couldn't sit down and just write a song about whatever like being able to sit down and be like I'm gonna write a dinosaur love song like I know what it has to be about but the longer I've done Dinosaur Love, the more abstracted that idea has become, and the more I've like figured out how I can make everything about dinosaurs. Yeah, and I think the beauty of a, of a concept that specific <laughs> is you could just like pretty much do anything, and then it would still, like you could do like a jazz album. Yeah. <laughs> but it's about dinosaurs, and it still makes sense as a Dinosaur Love album. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> were you always into dinosaurs since you were uh, a wee lad? Um, yeah. I think that some of the earliest memories I have is definitely, like, getting pop-up books read to me. There's a very specific image in my head of a, a pop-up book that I had that was... Uh, there was, like, a brontosaurus that you could, like, pull out of the swamp. And that's, like, the one really specific memory in my head of that pop-up book. And also, probably around the same time, there was an exhibit at the Science Center that was, like, dinosaurs. It was, like, a traveling exhibit. Mm -hmm. And it was, like, the first time I'd been to the Science Center. And it just blew my mind. <laughs> I and think I, that's kind of where it comes from. And how old were you? I don't know. I must have been like maybe six or seven, five or six, between five and ten, because mm -hmm. that was when we were still living in Mesa. Um, so I would have been between five and ten. I don't know exactly how old, but what's your favorite dinosaur? Uh, it's Ankylosaurus is my favorite. Uh, my other favorite though is Protoceratops, just because it's very cute. That's the one I would have as a pet. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Ankylosaurus is my favorite. Why is Ankylosaurus your favorite? Uh, I've just always thought that he was a badass with a club on his tail. <laughs> Do you feel that there's any dinosaur that you relate to? Uh, oh, yeah. I feel like... I feel like I really relate to Triceratops. Um, I don't really know why. I just feel like that's the one I connect with the most. Hmm. It's the one I sing about the most. I feel like it's the one I gravitate towards singing songs about is Triceratops. I don't know why. Triceratops has spikes, right? Uh, yeah, the spikes on its face. It's like two coming off here and one on its nose. Yeah. Um, the act of doing something like getting in front of people while wearing a dinosaur costume and doing something that most Americans would consider to be weird. Was that always something that you were naturally comfortable with or did you have to overcome some stage fright as far as that went? I think I'm always constantly overcoming stage fright. I think that my performance has always been like a transition into being more comfortable with being myself like going back to the idea of vulnerability I've never really felt like my dinosaur love performances have felt the same as when I'm just in my music room playing the songs for myself and I want to make the performances feel more like the way it feels when I play the songs by myself in my bedroom because there is that stage fright. There's this idea of, like, I'm performing in front of people, whereas in my bedroom or my music room, like, I'm not performing for anyone. Like, it's just for me. It's just for fun. And I would like to bring that energy into the performances, too. Because, um, yeah, I, I always feel like I have a bunch of stage fright. <laughs> so what's your trick for handling it? Um... Well, my trick for a long time was wearing a dinosaur head, mm -hmm. so I couldn't see anybody. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, that wasn't the only reason why, but, oh, like, it, it was helpful to have, like, this dinosaur head and be insane and wild, and uh, I think 
going forward, I'm gonna just try to wear like a super crazy outfit with dinosaurs all over it and not conceal myself so much behind that and see what changes. Cause I don't perform with the dinosaur head at home. I don't perform with any of that costume stuff on. That'd be awesome if you did while yeah. you were by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, uh, The cool thing about that concept, too, the dinosaur mm-hmm. concept, is that you could also go through, like, this series of Bowie-esque changes. Mm-hmm. As long as it all revolves around dinosaurs, right? then that would that would make perfect sense. Oh, well, yeah. And one thing I was concerned about with, like, not doing the costume anymore was, like, oh, I'm not, I don't have a costume anymore. Like, that's the gimmick. That's why people are into it. And my friend CJ was, like... Oh yeah. Hello How's... CJ if you're if you're listening to this. <laughs> CJ. What's up to CJ? <laughs> I remember him saying like, yeah, how is anyone going to know that you love dinosaurs if you're not wearing the dinosaur head? All while I'm like wearing a dinosaur shirt and a dinosaur necklace and have a guitar with dinosaur stickers all over it. Like it's just I was being concerned about something silly. I like removing the dinosaur head and being like, "Oh, it's it's all gone." <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but imagine it's also just like the the years of having I'm sure there's an emotional connection to that as like a safety blanket yeah. sort of thing. It's that as well. Um for sure. And yeah, with, with me and all my struggles with stage fright, I think any sort of costume definitely helped create some sort of like alter ego mm-hmm. that also like separated me from any sort of potential and likely humiliation that would ensue yeah. from me performing songs that I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, why do people separate comedy music from music that is considered serious? Why is comedy music <sighs> not seen as a yeah. legitimate art form? I have very strong opinions about this. Let's hear it. <laughs> Which is that I think that it's really... Ah, oh, man. So... There's this idea that in order to be taken seriously, you have to be singing songs about serious things. And to be ordered to considered talented, you have to be playing in like a super technical, like math rock band. Like there's this idea of like the talent and the seriousness is what validates someone's creativity. And like, There's so much more in, like, creativity than being serious and talent, because I think the idea that, like, talent equals creativity is bogus. Like, you don't have to be talented to be creative, and I think that when people see someone, like, Weird Al or Barnes and Barnes, or they might be giants even, like being silly, uh, they just completely go like, oh, that's not, this is not highbrow art. Whereas like, they might be giants specifically, like those songs are really complicated Mm -hmm. and the talent, they're so talented Mm -hmm. that they kind of go beyond I don't know if go beyond is the right word, but there reaches a point where, like, 
people will ignore how talented someone is because they're singing stupid songs. <laughs> that and I would I would I would argue that John especially John Linnell, his songs are like the saddest songs mm-hmm. that exist. Yeah, and that's another thing. Sorry, I've really strong opinions about this, about comedy songs, is that comedy songs and silly musicians have the potential to make you feel stronger sad emotions than someone specifically trying to make you sad mm-hmm. because uh, it's something that uh, Terry Pratchett does a lot mm-hmm. um, who is probably my favorite author of all time uh, he's, he's, he's um, cool he's very good but it, it exemplifies what I am talking about here a lot where he does this thing where he gets your defenses down with like goofy silly comedy and gets you gets your armor down like this is fun i'm having a good fun time i'm laughing we're having fun here and then super serious like meditations on life or like really vulnerable moments of sad of emotions like can get through that armor because they've got your defenses down by making you laugh and making you feel comfortable with laughing and being silly like and it's just more powerful than like piano man or like i mean i don't want to say it's more powerful yeah, than Leonard there. Cohen or anything like that well, but it's not just billy this, joel here it's not, yeah <laughs> But it's just, there's this power in comedy that also, if you use it correctly, has the ability to make you feel really strong emotions that aren't just funny, you know? And, like, They Might Be Giants does that, like you said. Like, those songs are really sad, but, like, Alienations for the Rich or, like, Anna Ang, like, the silly songs. Why Must I Be Sad? Yeah, why, like... (laughs) pencil rain like all this stuff is just sadness coated in this layer of silliness so it can like trojan horse its way in mm-hmm. um yeah and i've heard or not heard i've read pratchett also talk about like fantasy mm-hmm. and how writing fantasy is like another layer of things that like aren't taken seriously as like an art form or mm-hmm. just like different and similarly to like making something comedic or making something speculative, it's like not seen as like you're bearing your soul. Mm-hmm. And so it's like not seen as like as cool. Yeah. And I also feel like maybe people that like embrace comedy music are like comfortable with being nerdy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not something that oftentimes is the case with people. They don't wanna, they're not as cool if they embrace like their nerdiness in that way. Do you agree? Uh, agree with like nerdy people being into comedy music, or I'm not sure. It just felt right to ask that in that yeah. moment. Do you agree with any of it? Uh, yeah, I would say I agree. Great, with most of it, um, if not all of it. <laughs> what What I see is that if you're just talking with a person, mm-hmm. there's going to be some jokes and there's going to be some downer stories, mm-hmm. but there's probably going to be just like an all-encompassing sort of experience that's a lot of different things mm-hmm. with any sort of conversation and that that's, that's often the case with movies and mm-hmm. with books and things like that and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're written off 
as being less worthy. And I feel that music that is comedic should have the same, the same sort of respect. Yeah. Um, and yeah, with Weird Al, like, you know, Weird Al is one of the best accordionists of all time. Yeah. Nobody ever talks about that. I mean, all of his polka-rama stuff is just so crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. The man lost his parents. His parents died, and then he performed that same night. He performed these goofy songs that same night that his parents died, that he found out that his parents died. That is potentially the darkest story I have ever heard. I had no idea. That's yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. Have you seen... Um, did you watch the the Daniel Radcliffe movie? Oh, it's it's it was a masterpiece. Oh my god, I want to see it so bad. I've seen the I've seen clips of it. The one I am really there's like the clip of them at the pool party, and it's mm-hmm. like everyone is there. It's like Divine is there, mm-hmm. and it just looks so funny. Yeah, no, every <laughs> just... every every minute was glorious. Um, yeah, no, I. You need to watch that immediately. When you go home from this, you need to go home and watch watch that movie. Okay. <laughs> um. What is your ultimate goal as far as how your music impacts people? What do you want them oh, to take away to be? That's a big question. I think that. I think that what I would like people to take away uh, is that. It's okay to be weird and have hyperfixations and to follow those passions. You know, I think that if people take away something other than that that's meaningful to them, I think that that is amazing. But what is meaningful to me about Dinosaur Love and what I hope that people can gather from seeing me perform is that it's okay to go against the grain and like follow those dreams and it's okay to be unashamedly passionate about stuff mm-hmm. and to be yourself and be okay putting yourself out there um that's what over time over the 10 years I've been doing dinosaur love it has come to mean to me it did not initially begin that way but over time, the longer I do it and the more songs I write, the more that it's clear to me that like that is what it's about and why I keep doing it. <laughs> like I could have stopped a long time ago if it was just like a dumb, silly, goofy thing. But over time, it's been special to me in that way where it's like important to stay creative and be passionate about things other people might say are silly. Um, that's what I hope people take away. But if anyone takes anything else away from seeing me perform, that is amazing. <laughs> Did you have any sort of like manifesto going into it, or was it just kind of like I like dinosaurs? Absolutely not. It was there was no concept of that when I started it. When I wrote the first dinosaur love song, it was literally because of a conversation I had with. Uh, my partner at the time about RAR meaning I love you and dinosaur and what if there was a song about dinosaurs being in love and then that was the only song I had for a while and three years after that 
against CJ. Our friend CJ. Hello, Sup, CJ. CJ. Hey, CJ. Um, booked a show at the Trunk Space called Singles Night, which was supposed to be solo performances of people that are in band that were in bands in Phoenix. It was supposed to be like a night of solo performances from band members that not with their band. And so he asked me to do that, and I wrote like five or six other songs real quick mm-hmm. and then that was the first dinosaur love show and it was i didn't think it was going to be anything more than that i thought i was just i thought it was just going to be a one and done thing but mm-hmm. then it just snowballed and now i'm here with that idea in my head of like what it means to me it's it's been a wild time honestly Life takes some strange turns, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I told you recently, I think that your material works where it wouldn't work. Just like some, some brosif was just like, you know what would be funny is if I did a dinosaur band. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> but this is you. Yeah. Like this, this is clearly a sincere expression and you're not just trying to be, you know, some sort of, not trying to just come up with some novelty just for, for the sake of it. Yeah. And that's... Yeah, I mean, I was definitely there at one point, but that, it has become so much more than that. (laughs) It was very novelty for me, even at one point, but now it's just, it's out of my hands. It's, it just exists and I can't control it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Who have been your top inspirations for performing, by the way? I meant to ask that earlier, but here we are. My top performance, oh man. Um, my top inspirations. Um, I think that, ironically, for performances and songwriting, um, one of my biggest influences is T-Rex. Whenever I listen to T-Rex, I notice a bunch of chord progressions that I've just straight stolen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're a really big inspiration to me. I think that, uh... Parliament Funkadelic is one of the biggest uh, performance goals for me. Like, when I think about how I want the Dinosaur Love Band to be, which is also a goal this year to rehearse with a band and perform with the band more, I want the performances to be like a Parliament Funkadelic show where it's just like, it's just a party, everyone's in wild costumes, like... The song structure is, like, kind of there, but mostly it's just, like, the vibes of, like, having a good time and not just, like, a million people on stage. Like, that's what I imagine for the Dinosaur Love Band is, like, making it not just mine. Like, making it not just me on stage with a guitar. Like, when I want to perform with a band, I want it to be a collective experience. And now that I'm saying that... Uh, I am remembering another performance influence for me, which is P. Lander Z. Every time I've seen P. Lander Z, I feel like I have, for a brief moment, become part of some weird Power Rangers community. And everyone in the audience is, like, is in the band. And that is so magical. Like, P. Lander Z... I love seeing them live so much because they make everyone feel like they're part of this community and in this weird Power Ranger band for like a night. 
mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of the vibes I really want with the Dinosaur Love Band and my performances. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, <laughs> that that all that all sounds wonderful. I was sharing with a friend recently that even when things started like you know opening back up or whatever, that it became harder for me to get back into enjoying seeing live music mm-hmm. became very used to music being a private experience and then it sort of like felt like the equivalent of if there was like a painting that like I really liked and then I went and saw the painter like recreate the painting like on a stage and then just like move around a little bit like while they were doing it and how that would seem silly <laughs> so like <laughs> and how that's kind of what like watching bands live is a lot of the time mm-hmm. on like what you're describing where it's a full it's a whole whole different universe, a whole different experience. Mm-hmm. We need to bring that back. Yeah, I think it's really I think it's really special. I don't know. I think that music and live performance especially has the ability to transport you to somewhere special, even just for like a 40-minute set. Like it has the ability to make you forget like your day job, you know? And mm-hmm. that's what I th- think I strive to do with my music is to transport people to that special place where like you're just in it you know and there there's not that separation between performer and audience like there's a conversation happening between the two of them Mm -hmm. um but yeah going back to you really delving into your interests and having you know this goal of letting people know it's okay to be like that into one's interests like the more I learn about being neurodivergent and whatnot the more I notice like just the shame that people experience from other people for being too into a thing yeah um having a special interest or whatnot and I don't know if you were like you were I don't know if you identify is neurodivergent you certainly don't have to tell me but i uh i very much appreciate that with you it feels like you give that population of voice in that respect as well and so kudos to you yeah i mean i i hope so i really want to make that space <laughs> mm-hmm. to be available you know cuz i definitely <laughs> i bounce between hyperfixation so much like I have so many going at one time and in a way like dinosaur love and singing the songs about dinosaurs like kind of keeps me grounded in that way where it's like uh, there's so many hyperfixations that I bounce between whether it's like reading or playing video games or listening to music like there's always maybe like one specific thing that I'm like, I'm going to read just gothic fiction for like a year. Mm -hmm. And now I'm just going to read Discworld or I'm just going to listen to King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. But like, I have a very almost obsessive personality. And the fact that I have always have dinosaur love and dinosaurs to like latch on to is like kind of keeps me grounded in a way yeah yeah that totally totally makes sense yeah um is there anything 
else you want to share about yourself or the world uh, with the remaining time that we have? Man, I don't know. I'm working on a lot of recordings. I'm working with a band, and if anybody wants me to perform for any reason, for any length of time, I will. <laughs> Just ask me. <laughs> well, best of luck to you in the future. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Um, this has been the Creative Curmudgeon. Thank you so much for listening. So long. <laughs>